Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast, bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and Zach and David. How are you guys doing? Really? We're going what back you, to that. Okay. It's our first right, video. And not our what, first what you, video, but it's like it's like the inaugural video episode. <laughs> and you're like, hey guys, how's it going? How about how about what are you guys drinking? We'll do a little critical X uh, throwback. Nothing. Really? Nothing? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, I'm drinking a seltzer water that has caffeine in it because I wasn't sure if I was going to make it tonight. <laughs> yes, I have I have uh, a McDonald's iced coffee and wine. So that, you wait, 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 wait. <laughs> iced coffee that looks like milk with a splash of coffee. Well, it's from it's from like noon. So regardless of whether it's from noon, that literally looks like here's like half a cup of milk, a splash of coffee, and some ice. All right, so usually I get black coffee, or I attempt to get black coffee. Um, Unlike Starbucks, McDonald's does not seem to understand, like, when you say I want coffee, that means I want coffee with milk and sugar in it. Like, you ask for an iced coffee, and they give you coffee, plus milk and sugar. You have to, like, specifically say, I want black coffee with nothing in it but ice and coffee. (laughs) And even then, sometimes they still mess it up. So that was a tangent that nobody was interested in, probably. I I don't understand it. I literally don't drink coffee at all. Um, It is a horrible drink. No one should drink it. It is atrocious. It tastes like a garbage dump. And y'all are crazy. All right. The moment you have a child or, or multiple children... I want you to come back to me and let me know if you still uh, have that take on coffee. I I will let you know. But my my wife used to call it hot bean water and uh, disparage me for drinking it black. And now she drinks just as much as I do. So not wrong though. I mean, it is literally hot bean water. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not also delicious. Coffee is the medicine that has gotten many a, a college student through finals and done many heroic things for the society. I mean, if you want to say that it has good properties, that's fine. But don't tell me it tastes delicious because it it, it, doesn't. it doesn't. It's medicine. Like, 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 yeah, it's just real bad. I'm sorry. Like, that's don't give me, you're just some wrong. Some coffee is bad. Some coffee is real bad. Just um, like some scotch is real bad. Yeah, exactly. There's good coffee and there's bad coffee. Just like there's good scotch and bad scotch. Right. So get the good scotch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's do housekeeping. <laughs> housekeeping. Uh, we just have uh, one item on here. Just remind folks about our Patreon. If you like what you hear on the show, like what we're doing, if you like the stuff that we do on the blog, on the YouTube channel, on the other podcasts, the Fifth Trooper podcast. If you like any of those things and you want to support us, check us out at thefifthtrooper.com slash Patreon. Yeah, and actually, since this is designed for video, there should be a card somewhere around here that I will put here and you can click on it. So that'll be a thing. Awesome. All right. We actually don't really have any news today. So let's launch right into hobby talk. Get out your brush and paint. It's hobby time. David, I understand you painted some, some Mandos. 
It did. I um I had an opportunity actually for the first time since I think Las Vegas to play an actual game of Legion on a physical table. So I really had to whip up these mandos quick. Um, I decided to go with a kind of red, black, and gray with silver highlight kind of thing. Um, loosely based on the model in the box, um, or on the artwork in the box, but you know, kind of a little little twist here and there. Uh, they're super fun. These models are great. Um, you were right. I th- did you mention last week about Ursa with the legs not being attached at the same points as the others? Yeah, yeah. That 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 nearly got me. I had some issues with like I think I, I used more plastic glue than I thought I needed to, and then like I came back and the plastic glue had dripped out of the join and bonded the two like I don't know what you call those things like the two like you know she, she, she's got these like plated this like plated skirt right. And so it bonded two of the plates together. The plastic would fuse them together. So I had to like go back in with a knife and like cut that back open. And it looks like trash, but I had to like actually get it get it back open again. But it, it's in the back. It's hidden. You can't actually see it. So it's like you know I'm the only one who's going to be looking at the back of the model probably. Um, so I'll just be you know my thing. But otherwise, like they were a joy to paint. Um, the details are nice. The belt the belts are great. One of the one of the challenges I found was that they have these plates on their hips that are actually below the leather straps of the holster. So you have to like go in there and like actually, you know, stencil that out. Once you've painted the larger, the larger colors, you actually have to go in and like, you know, paint the metal underneath that. Well, that was, so that was a little bit tough. Um, I also found it a little bit challenging to get um, wash into the gaps in the metal armor. It's really a lot of these models I find have like they're they're trying to show you where a panel begins and ends. And so there's like these gaps, right? So you have to not just paint the tops of these raised portions, you have to actually get into the crevices, I find. And getting wash in there was kind of challenging, at least getting enough wash in there to make it look like a convincing shadow. Cause I mean, I don't know, GW washes they seem a little thin to me. It's just my preference compared to like say Army Painter. Um but yeah, they were. It, it was a blast. Um, I used super glue for the flight stand because I think we someone mentioned using super glue. I forget whom. Um, that worked amazingly well. It just bonds like a snap. I put Tristan on the super tall flight stand. Um, and yeah, I mean, I didn't get to actually base them, but I got them like mostly base coated, and I did some work with Ursa just to make the leader look real good. Um, yeah, she's great. I think I used like what five colors. Yeah, five colors in total, I think, with the basic colors and then the layers on top. But yeah, that's they're they're just great. They're are, great models. Are you painting them on the flight stands? Uh no, I'm not. So what I what I did was I primed the base separate from the miniature, and then I painted like the base coats where I you know felt like I needed them, and then I would do like most of the model except for like the obvious parts that I knew I could get to on the flight stand. So like, I guess it would be the backs of the legs primarily is where like this flight stand actually blocks your brush. Um, so I would do like the backs of the legs and, and all that sort of thing. And then I would put it on the flight stand and then resume painting with it on the flight stand. But you know, you there's multiple ways to go about it. Whatever the case, I didn't want to get, paint on the clear plastic 
that was the, that was the entire intention. And that's always been something I've struggled with, with, with hobby stands that have plastic or with hobby models that have plastic flight stands is keeping the paint clear of that. Cause it, it looks terrible when you get primer on it. It just looks really awful. So you have to like come up with like alternatives to, to making that, to make that happen. Speaking of primer, how, how'd you, how'd your priming go in Florida? Oh man. Uh, wow. So I, um, these, these things suffered a little bit. Uh, the humidity was 71%. So I kind of tempted fate cause it says that you're not supposed to prime it above 70%. So I kind of tempted fate a little bit there. I was like, well, it'll be fine. And it was, it was fine for the most part. It's just that there's like a threshold that you cross where if you just spend a little bit too long with the spray, it's going to get that snowy effect. The best results I found is like horizontal sweeps back and forth and just trying to get that light dusting. You just have to be really careful with how it builds and you really can't like, it's really like one second burst back and forth horizontal. It's never anything extensive. Because if you if you hold in place, you're going to get paint building up on itself. Yeah, especially when it's humid, you can get like this dusty sort of like flock effect. Right, and like know. Florida has has two challenges. Right, one is the humidity, and it's like almost always seventy plus percent humidity out here, and it's also heat um, because the temperature hardly ever at this time of year falls below eighty degrees, at least in the part of Florida that I'm in, which is like Central Florida. And both of those things can result in that flaking, which, you know, one, it creates a texture you didn't intend to create. In the worst case, it'll look like, um, it'll look like it has warts because the paint's like building up continuously on those little, um, those little bits of moisture, kind of like a, kind of like a raindrop builds up on itself, you know? Yeah. Think, I was, oh, sorry to interrupt you, Kyle, but I was going to uh, say, do you think that like, clogged up the like the pieces that you're having trouble getting like the null oil on say like do you think that maybe you just didn't see it but maybe it kind of like clogged those up a little bit like the pieces of the armor no it, it's it's not it, it it's not that bad because the method i use i use a rattle can which is also like asking for trouble in high humidity um i use a rattle can in my garage but i have an air-conditioned room like immediately adjacent and so i will do the i'll do the spray prime and then as soon as I, i'm done i put the can down i pick up the tray and I run it into that other air conditioned room and let it dry in the air conditioning. Cause that, that, that like lowers the humidity level sufficiently to give it a decent prime and also lowers the temperature. But, but the, the other trick I use in addition to, you know, another way to compensate for heat and humidity, warm up the can. A lot of that condensation stuff happens when there's a, a temperature difference between the can and the, the room you're priming in. So you, I try to store the can when it's safe to do so in the garage. Um, you know, it's of course it's in shade. I, I store it in there and then the can's like pre-warm ready to go. I used to store things in the, in the house itself. And that can lead to problems if your can temperature is not, not correct. <laughs> when you said warm up the can, I'm like, ah, uh, you definitely shouldn't put that in the microwave. Like, <laughs> no, 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 what, I, what I mean, when I say warm up the can, no, what I mean is just, it needs to be like, like five seconds. Yeah. No, please. Zero seconds. Zero seconds. Okay. Oh, and it's boy. highly, highly flammable. Do not put rattle cans of spray paint in a microwave. Do not do that. Okay. But what I mean to say is bring it into the, bring it into the space you're planning on priming in. And you know, if, it, if the can is cold to the touch, just warm it with your hands and, and just shake it while warming it. And actually like 
spend the time, spend the two minutes to, to do that. And it'll help you a lot. I'm sorry. I'm picturing what warming a can with your hands looks like. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. It's just holding it. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, related to, so you mentioned like how to paint things on stands when they're not on stands. I actually have, um, I, I tried something. I'm not sure if it's going to work, but let me run and grab it because it's interesting. Okay. okay. One second. Nice. Talk amongst yourselves. Well, while he's, while he's grabbing it, um, I, uh, I primed all my arcs <clears throat> this week. Okay. I, I got them all out. They're all primed. I have my, I have arc star ready to be painted. It's ready to go. Are you intimidated? Am I intimidated? Um, well, by the painting you made. Well, I, I think I mentioned it last week or maybe it was before the cast or somewhere. I, I, I lose track of time and space now all the time because of the kids, but I only built one box of arcs and primed one box of arcs. Mm -hmm. So then I didn't feel overwhelmed. So now do you feel intimidated or overwhelmed that you have both your boxes? Cause it's 14 models. That's uh, you that gotta understand lot. my wall of shame. It's like adding like extra shame to infinite shame. Like it's not, you, you can't, you can't make it worse because it's already never ever going to be done. I mean, I have, I have 300 assembled unpainted Legion models at minimum. Like, like it's, and that doesn't even count like my space wolves army. That's got like one tax squad painted and like a rhino painted and everything else still has to go. I'm really bad at doing the painting thing. So when you say am I overwhelmed? Yeah, I'm overwhelmed. But that's because I'm, always overwhelmed it's not it's not just the arcs it's just like i have a painting backlog that i'm never gonna finish ever maybe, I feel maybe, on that. maybe i should just do that to myself because i'm not gonna lie i have not had the time to hobby sorry just to like throw that out there have not had the time and but night in and night out i'm like oh, i really wish i could paint those like three arc troopers that i have left that i need to paint for this set of arcs but maybe if i just built my other arcs and my mandos and just lay them all out on my table, I would just feel so much infinitely worse that I'll feel better about it. It's like a reverse psychology type of thing where I feel so bad now that it's, I just don't care. But now that I only see the three arc models that are sitting right next to me as we speak that I need to paint to finish this set, I have like anxiety. Now I'm never going to, I'm not even going to be playing on a table anytime soon, but I don't know what it is night in night out. I'm like, I really want to paint these arcs, but I don't have the time. So maybe I just need to do that to myself and, and just pull a Mike Barry and uh, channel in some shame and just deal with it. Well, like, I mean, so here, here's my, how my, my rule, it only gets painted if I have to paint it to play with it competitively at a tournament. So for instance, all my scout troopers, only the strike teams are painted and the sab models are still sitting on the shelf. Like the, you know, I bought seven, what is there? Seven models in each box, 21 models. I painted six. You know, the rest of them are going to sit on the wall of shame forever. Um, and whatever. I'm okay with that. I, you know, buying models, assembling them, and playing with them, like, I get the fun out of this for playing the game. Painting, to me, is a means to an end, and that is playing competitively. If, if I could play competitively with non-painted models, I would probably do it. 
Yeah, do you know where your Snowtrooper IR model is? Yes. The, okay. So I have, like I said, I have like 300 unpainted models. A lot of them are still like dry fit. At least like the starting Legion models are dry fit. Uh, all of them have all of their parts. I can say that pretty reliably. Other than my IRG leader who is missing his pistol arm. I don't know where it went. I had to buy, buy a whole new box of IRG to paint the squad that I needed to paint because I was missing that piece. It's gone, and FFG doesn't do the parts replacement thing anymore because, I guess, screw me, I guess. Um, and so I dropped another $25 or however much it is on a new box of IRG. But whatever. See, uh, here you maybe you missed an opportunity to come up with a great story for your arm, one-armed IRG leader. It just the model doesn't even look right. Like, it, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the the original sculpts, like, um, are just I don't know. They're very limited. If you know, if you're if you're missing a piece, it's like you got to go deep on the green stuff. If yeah, it, it. yeah, totally. Um, so I did grab my. I have here my uh, Mandalorian, one of them. Um, this is this is my attempt at a solution for painting these guys uh, before I put them on the flight stands. Um, it is a toothpick where I clipped off one end of it; the other end is still pointy, um, and I super glued it to his foot. Hmm. I used uh, Scotch gel super glue, which um, uh, I had. I would, luckily, uh, the experience of attempting to assemble models with that in the past and failing. Um, so I know that its hold is not very strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after I'm done painting this guy, I'm just going to break that off. And if worse comes to worse, it's on the bottom of his foot. So I can shave that off with a razor blade or something. Um, and I did the same thing for my steps and, um, our scotch endorsement deal is ruined. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it is the perfect tool for this job right here. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, and I left the pointy end in because I have a giant block of styrofoam. Uh, that I'm gonna just like jam them in. And oh, like for, for fire upright. arranging, right? It's like the yep. soft foam. Yeah, it's it's just a block of styrofoam from a box, oh, like okay. nothing fancy. Okay. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but that's my that's my Mandalorian solution. It seems pretty stable. I feel like I could paint this guy just holding the toothpick, and it so would be all right. Is he already primed? No, no, that's he's just gray. Okay. It was on my to-do list and I have not got it done yet. So what's the process for after you finish the prime? Are you going to crack it off and then prime the bottom of the feet or do you care? Well, um, I'm probably just going to, the short answer is no. I think the bottom of the foot is going to be, you know, it's whatever color the boots are, which I think is black. So I'm probably just going to, once I'm like completely done painting them before I um, glue them onto the, uh, onto the clear peg, I'm just going to break it off and I'm essentially just going to manually paint that one spot. And I don't think it should be too bad. How How is the paint going to stick without primer? I mean, I have like primer that I can use with a brush. Oh, you have surface, okay, you have surface primer. Okay. Yeah. Um, and if it looks like, you know, not great, it's the bottom of his foot. Like, you know, yeah, he's going to no be, he's going to be like this on a peg. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, that's yeah. interesting. What would you say the most important parts of a model are? Because I've been I've been told it's the face. Faces and bases. Hmm. 
I, That's the old moniker, faces and bases. I think the base is the most important. Like, don't get me wrong, faces, like, I agree, but I think bases are the most important part of any model. You can, you can make the worst model in the world look amazing just by making the base look cool. And the base yep. is the easy part. Like, you don't have to put a lot of, like, a little bit of dry brushing, glue some, like, rocks on it or something. It looks great. Wonderful. That's my trick. My my painting is not wizardly, but my basing, I'm like I'm like got all the little stuff on it and it looks it's great. I go I go even more simple than that. <laughs> I just put black paint on and then I just put on Martian Iron Earth and it looks like Geonosis and I'm all in on it. There you go. Like it it, it is like the simplest process, but it it looks great on clones because I mean that's what I'm putting them on, right? Um, not to go backwards here, but for those that were watching on video and for those that are listening, Kyle is showing us the model that I want to talk about real quick, but I think that Mando model might be my favorite model so far. And I haven't even put them together, but he, uh, he or she, I can't really tell. Uh, it, it is such a cool model. Like they're like, especially with how you can put them on the jetpack, like you can kind of like angle the jet. Whereas my art trooper looks really ridiculous on the, on the, um, which is sitting right next to me and I could show it, I guess it, it my art trooper looks ridiculous the way I have it angled. And that was just my own doing. But I feel like that Mando, you could put it at any angle and it's going to look cool. Like you could have him or her like flying straight up. It looks cool. You could have them like at like a 45 degree angle. It looks like they're using their jetpack to kind of like matrix out of the zone while like putting their finger up to like, uh, I don't even know what they're doing. Like maybe their rangefinder. Maybe they're trying to hit their rangefinder while blasting with the pistol. Like there's just so many ways you can model that Mando, like, again, they have their fingers up to the rangefinder and the pistol shooting. It is, like, such a cool-looking model, especially on a flight stand, I think. Oh, yeah, totally. It's the pose I wish Ursa had, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, so it is It is. A, it is a, a, a dude. It's a male model. Uh, so I considered, like, I saw this pose, and I'm like, I want to use that for Ursa. But um, the male and female Mando models are, like, enough different size that you can't really do that. So um, I did end up using one of the other flying model uh, torsos for Ursa instead. I just said um, that I'm going to basically not worry about the skirt and just paint her uh, symbols and stuff. And I used her helmet, but it's the one that's like flying backwards with two pistols. So I, I felt like that was a better pose. And I, there's, there's three uh, like flying models in the kit. I mean, you can make as many of them flying as you want, obviously, but there's there's three where their feet are like, clearly off the ground and I'm going to use them as clan Ren. I'm going to use this dude and then I'm going to use Tristan and then that Ursa model um, just so they're all on pegs. But um, I also painted Luke and Grievous and R2 and 3PO. So got some actual brushwork done this week. Um, anyway, here's my Luke. Um, Super green. Yeah, it's um I can't decide if it's too much green or not, but uh it is uh black, blackish blue, uh with the green OSL on there. Um and basically I, I actually uh Dustin, um Dustin Harvey from Jagged Brush Studios uh recommended the black method to me, which is essentially like I'm used to with blacks just sort of bringing it up from black to like gray to try and make it give it some contrast but he actually recommended bringing it up to blue 
Um, and uh, I like how it looks a lot. It's, you know, his insight was basically if you look at any sort of black cloth under a light, you can see a little bit of blue tint or shade to it. And I, I feel like that's that's true. Basically, I did blending with black up to blue and it, you can see a little bit more on his back. But uh, I like how it looks. And then the, the OSL I just did with um, with an airbrush. This is like cheating. I literally just put green paint in my airbrush and I went and called it a serious? day. Yeah. That is literally. very frustrating to hear because like <laughs> when I am like doing OSL, which I, I mean, like I was terrible at it and I feel like I'm getting better at it and better at it. Right. But like I take like the smallest amount of paint and I put it in, I put it in my thing. And then I take Lamy and medium and it comes out way quicker than I need to. And then now I'm like, it's like you have to make your own glaze, right? And then you're putting on layer after layer after layer. You you can't tell if it's actually sticking. Sometimes you're like, is this? I, am I actually doing something here? And then here's Kyle. Yeah, I just went like this. Yeah, it worked great. So yeah, it was the first time I've tried it with an airbrush. I also did it on Grievous, uh, who is yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I think it looks pretty decent on him too. But, I think they uh, look great. I'm, I'm pissed that they came out. Great. It's <laughs> just like a, a touch of a button. Yeah, it's you got to so you got to be a little careful because it like if you overdo it, there's basically no way to fix it. Yeah, I would be so afraid all that work. Like I was, put I was all terrified. that work in, and then like if you hold the trigger like an extra tenth of a second or whatever, your model's just ruined. Yeah, I was absolutely uh. terrified. <laughs> uh, so I tried it first. I took a I took a grot from Warhammer 40k that was prime black, and I tried it on him first with both colors, the blue and the green, from different angles, just to like practice. Um, and yeah, that helped. I would definitely do that. Do it on a scratch model first. And that, then, sorry, I have to raise this point before we move on from it. That's also great too if you're trying to. This goes back to what we were talking about with priming. If you have leftover bits of sprue you can do a test spray from your rattle can on the sprue and experiment different with different techniques. So always, yeah. always do test models, but you don't have to, you don't have to do this without some preparation or some practice. You can, you can actually prepare beforehand and be methodical with it and have a test model or a test sprue and, and see what the conditions are like. And if the conditions suck, don't prime. Yep, exactly. So yeah, that's what I did with the OSL. I did actually mess up a little bit which I had to go back and fix. You can see um, Luke here, like his his left leg. I actually, because because OSL, if you're doing it with an airbrush, you know, an airbrush is like casting lightning bolt in D&D. You hit your target, and then you hit everything behind your target, right? So an airbrush is the same. You know, I, I took it from that angle where his where his saber is, and it hit all the areas I wanted it to hit, right? It hit, like, right here on his arms. It hit on his knee that's close to the saber, but then it also hit, like, on his far knee because that's behind it. And I didn't want that because that's too far from the saber. So I ended up having to basically go back and repaint that with the black. And then I did the same thing on Grievous where it hit, like, his this arm over here, which is way far away from the sabers, and he had, like, this blue-green thing going on on the inside of his, his wrong arm. So... Uh, yeah, just keep that in mind. There's a technique with airbrushing called masking, which basically means that you like block off part of the model. Uh, you can use like um, 
silly putty or uh, like sticky tack for this. You might want to do like a matte varnish over your model first because there's a non-zero chance that it could peel off some of the paint that's already on there. But And then you just put that around the part that you don't want to get paint on. You can also just, if it's like one discrete area, like on Luke, if I had held him correctly, I probably just would have held him like this, you know, when I was spraying and it would have done a fun functionally the same thing. So that's all I got. Well done. Yeah, what I'm saying is you had to go back and make it look like you didn't just screw up with the airbrush. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much of like 20% of painting is going back and fixing mistakes you've made along the way. So. Oh, amen. Oh, I cannot tell you how many times I like, it's just a little bit too much paint on the brush and I go into do an edge highlight. It's like, well, great. You don't yeah. have to go back and fix that. I've also had the thing where like, if you're using paints for blending, some of those um, GW pots don't pour very well. So sometimes you get them on the side like yep. it drips down the side and sometimes I forget to wipe it off and then I'll pick it up again to use it. And then I'll grab my model and I'll have like this giant paint thumbprint. <laughs> That's happened to me a non-zero quantity of times. Um, luckily if you're fast enough, it's acrylic paint and it comes off with water, but yeah. <laughs> I, I find that um, the like the GW brush handles where you, the model you put the model on it, it holds the model for you. It makes, yeah, that um, makes me avoid situations like that. I guess I need one of those. I'm an old fashioned hold it by the model kind of guy. I but. used to be, and I was like, ah, it's 10 bucks and it's a GW product, so that's steel. And um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, I'll try it. I'm never going back, man. I no, uh, never, never going back. They're legit, yeah. I like because them. I have I have two, but I also got a paint case that comes with like wooden handles. And I was like, oh, those are cool. Why don't I try those? And I and I do put models on them, don't get me wrong. But I do that to just kind of hold them in place. And then when it's time to paint them, I throw them on these things because I don't know what it is. The way maybe it's like the octagonal, I think it's an octagon, octagonal shape that it has. I don't know. It just works so well. Like it's just, I don't know. I get in the zone when I'm painting with these things. The budget version is like an old paint pot with like blue tack on top. That's the budget version yeah. or, a pill bottle, or an empty pill bottle. I, I like the GW ones. Cause like I can like turn it upside down and like you can, you can get any angle you want. And like, you know, if you're holding the model, you start like, can't, I don't know. It's weird. And, like the grease from your hand, like I always wash my hands before I paint, but the grease from your hand transfers to the paint. It just strips it and it looks messy after a while. That's okay. why having a handle is better. Guess I'll have to get one myself one of those. It's, I think it's the cheapest thing I've ever purchased for any miniatures game that has given me the highest yield by far. Like value for money as far as models go. And, and I'm not a fan of GW, but that thing is amazing. Yeah, for me, I don't know. It's weird. Like, when I paint stuff, I, I feel like I have to have my... Like, when I paint Luke, I hold him like this. You know, as many points of contact as possible. So, I don't know. Over, over time, the, the oil from your yeah. index finger will wear the paint out. Yeah. So, you just got to... Yeah. Like, unless you're doing it in one shot, then maybe that's maybe that's okay. I don't know. 
Yep. And this was Hobby Talk, not brought to you by Scott's and not brought to you by GW. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but we, we bumped GW, man. We said GW was great. Well, I yeah. mean, well, until, their until handle's like... <laughs> great. The handle's great. Okay, that's right. I will great. say, I anything else. A, a minor tangent, but they came out with this breaking of uh, the like Fellowship of the Ring supplement for the Lord of the Rings game. Man, am I stoked. Oh, check it out. It's amazing. Ugh, it's great. Everything I've been is. intrigued by that game, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I mean, eventually when we're like non-quarantined and stuff, I'll teach you how to play. It's a very simple awesome. game. Um, and it's just, it's like, it, the point of it is like so much more narratively driven. Like, like you can play it competitively, and people do, and I have, but it's like the style of the game is just much better for like telling a story. Um, you know, I gotta say, seeing the tables that people make for that game, like it's in the same hall as the Legion stuff and Nova Open, and every time. You, I walk by those tables. I'm like, I, I just, I want to, I want to do this. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. um, the guy that runs it, Devin Moreno, super good dude. He's got like, uh, like a, the back end of a tractor trailer full of those tables that they just put all the Nova tables in and they take them out like once or twice a year. And, um, the guy that, um, I had to do the table that, I play on, I found him because he made a bunch of those Lord of the Rings tables. Um, so I was like, this, sh- this stuff is awesome. He's going to make my stuff. And, you know, I was very, very happy with that. So Awesome. Well, any other hobby, hobby notes before we move on to the, our competitive section? Get ready. I'm so pumped. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Get ready for advanced tactics. So, David, you played an actual game. Uh, I did. I did. I um, I went to a store in Winter Park, which is on the east side of Orlando, and I got to play a game with a relatively new player, but it was the first time I had a chance to use silhouettes at all under any circumstances. We didn't we didn't actually end up using them for the majority of the game, but I got a chance to, like, try shooting and try seeing with this stuff. Um. I I was not impressed. You know, I was firmly in Camp Silhouette and TTS made it a lot easier. But now, like, actually putting it on the real table, I'm a little bit 50-50 on it. Um, mostly because the silhouette that I got, I used, was the paper silhouette that FFG supplies in the tournament regs. And, like, using it, it, it made a lot of sense, but it seemed just to add so much time in the process of shooting things. And it was like, it used to just be, you just bend down, you just look and you know, you know whether the shot's there or not. And like having to ask your opponent for the sill or having to put your, your own sills in place. It just seems to add so much time to the process of playing the game. And it's gotten me a little bit concerned. First of all, Kyle, I love the softball silhouette introduction. Like, you knowing where we're going to go, hey, David, how'd your game go? Um, I couldn't agree more. Um, we're going to dive into this in depth. Okay. Today, Mike, we're, we're going to do this, and it's going to happen. So, a yeah. couple questions, David. Um, yes. You were strictly using paper silhouettes, so just yeah. the printout version. Didn't use an acrylic, okay. no. So... Awful. 
Well, I mean, we can get to the awful portion of that piece to it. I mean, let, let's just do it now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, okay, if I had my druthers, if I had more time to prepare, because yeah. I literally, like, like this, the thought occurred to me as I was about to leave the house, and I still ended up forgetting some stuff because I hadn't actually gone and played a game of this thing in forever. I was like, oh, my God, I need a soul. It's going to be a tournament. Well, it turned out to not be a tournament. It was more like a casual play day, but that's fine. You know, it's just the event's what it is. And I just came and I got to play. That was the important thing. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to go print this out. And I print it out. And, you know, I cut it out. And and I'm just thinking, I was like, man, this thing is flimsy because it's just a piece of paper. And if I had more time, I would have I would have cardboard backed it or like manila folder backed it. But that would have been something easy to do. I would have like glued, like taken a little bit of glue, put it against a manila, piece of manila, and then just cut the manila around it, and then it would have been fine. But it's still problematic, and they supply two because they don't know if your opponent's going to have one, so they they give you two so you whoa, can hand, whoa, whoa, hand whoa, one to your opponent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's let's be real clear about what they do okay. and don't supply here. All right, let's because do that. because you <laughs> supply the silhouettes. That's true. They that's gave true. you the graphical representation. They gave me they gave me the, they gave me the graphics with the precise measurement. Which is also not precise measurement. I was right, just going to say uh, asterisk on the not Asterisk, yeah. It's actually not the stated size. It's a little bit short. So could <laughs> could could that just be your printer? I don't know. I wondered about that when I printed it. I was like, did this print to scale? Well, but then I then I actually mashed it up against me. I was like, okay, that, that seems you know ballpark on. You know, I can, my eyes can't tell if it's like a micrometer or millimeter wrong or whatever. I mean, there are so many issues with it. So, like, A, it's flimsy and it bends. A B, yeah. like, all, like, I'm sure printers have error, like, margins of error for what they print. Like, uh, you know. I totally anticipate that. Like, thickness of lines has got to be a thing that varies from printer to printer. I mean, I'm sure that there is some sort of standardization, but, like, the fact of the matter is this is not a hard and fast tool. Right, and the silhouettes that, that are available from third parties. I mean, I, I think we've got silhouettes uh, on our site, right? And I'm not we saying do. don't use them, but like in 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 your practice games or your, your for fun games, go for it. But like, I don't really think any of this flimsy silhouettes provided by FGFG or third party silhouettes that nobody's. Um, like actually taking the time to verify our correct, our, our legitimate tournament products. Like it's one thing to use an order token that has a different iconography on it or something. It, it like the, the iconography doesn't affect its use in the game, but we're talking about people have to print like literally the only way to get a silhouette is to print one whether it's a paper copy or a 3d copy or whatever somebody that is not ffg has to print it right so okay so there's two there's two issues with that right one is the only way to get this thing officially right is to use the supplied pdf but then the means by which this tool is produced are the remotest thing from official or standard so there's like a there's like a, a catch twenty two. It's official, but how could it possibly be official? Well, so here's my question, and this is a legitimate question: Is it is it not legal to use the acrylic silhouettes? It's sort of unclear to me. I think I think the terminology, geo dependent. Yeah, I mean, like 
is it technically? I mean, I, we were talking before the cast about like, um, like materials that you're you're like supplied with, like like, for instance, you can't replicate a range ruler, right? Right, because it comes in your core box. Right, and it's and it's and it's a tool, right? Um, similarly, you can't replicate m movement tools, but it's 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 okay to replicate order tokens, which is also a thing that comes in the core box. So, like, there's a little bit of gray area there, but again, the order tokens aren't affecting the use of the thing. Like, we're we're strictly talking tools, and I think. I think silhouettes fall in the category of a tool as opposed to, like, I don't know what you would call an order token, um, but I don't well, think it fits in the same category as these other things that have been basically labeled as exclusive. And go for it, Zach. That's questionable because it, it is in the rule doc that if you're on an FFG stream, and I'm not saying an FFG stream is end-all, be-all, right? But it's in that document saying that you need to use basically paper tokens and cardboard tokens. Like you can't use acrylic aim tokens. You can't use acrylic dodge tokens. You, you can't use third party anything if you're on an FFG stream. So what I'm trying to get at is that, sure, they turn a blind eye for like when you're not on stream. But, but are they really turning a blind eye? Like, yes, it's legal for the event. I get it. But if you go on stream, you need those backup cardboard order tokens do you know how many times i bring cardboard order tokens with me to an, like any event i bring absolutely zero so i just think that it's kind of something similar to let's say in the rules reference guide right there's something in there that's ambiguously written and it can go either way depending on you know rules as written and rules as intended and it kind of, I, I know that they're not considered a tool like you're saying mike but ffg is kind of towing the line where those kind of are tools due to that one part in the document. So in practice, though, there's only been one actual official FFG stream so far in Legion. Right. And that was it's really, World. It's really just all us, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. Well, I, so my point is, I think that particular bit about having to use the cardboard order tokens is almost never going to come up, like ever. I can't think of... I mean, maybe five years from now, they'll be doing the format differently. But as long as Worlds is at a... I mean, we don't, we have no idea what Worlds is going to look like next year, I guess. But it seems like that would be relatively rare. FFG personally streams very few Legion events. Now, I don't I don't disagree, but it's there. It's still sure. there. It, it's and, also worth noting that those are not tournament regulations. Like, And I, and I think that drawing a line between... Like, like I think I think that... Like, FFG's got all sorts of rules. Like, th those rules correspond to, like, X-Wing and Armada and stuff like that, too. Like, you can't use third-party tokens on streams and a lot of those events as well. So I'm not sure that that conversation is as relevant as, is this a tool? And if so, are third-party stuff allowed? Um, and, and I think it's, it's worth actually reading from the silhouette language here, because I think this is sort of instructive. So it says included at the bottom of this page is a 42 millimeter by 27 millimeter. So it gives you the dimensions silhouette template bracketed by two orange tabs for grip. This template is designed to be used when determining line of sight to or from a small base trooper mini. Use of this template is required for tournament play and players use the template anytime they wish to check line of sight. Feel free to print off this page and cut out the template for use. So this begs the question. 
is what is the actual like template? Is it is it the dimensions? Is it is it the like what happens if you cut it out and then you glue it to the front of one of those acrylic things? Is that okay? Like what's what's the official thing here? Well, and this is important for a number of reasons. First off, it, as I understand it, due to how silhouettes work, line of sight is now drawn from behind the model. Okay? Which means the thickness of the silhouette is important. Because the thicker the silhouette is, the farther back you are going to potentially draw a line of sight from. Right? Like, theoretically, you could glue that silhouette on a two-inch thick, you know, piece of wood and throw it up there as long as it's the same shape. Like, like is that reasonable? Like, what's... How, how different is... Like, you know, how different is that in comparison to putting it on, like, you know, some thick paper? Like, clearly, you know, the thick paper is probably much more acceptable. But, like, there's... There's a lot of gray area here, and that doesn't even, like, get to the third-party part of this. And based on how, you, how that's worded, it's a, it's, can you reread the requirement part of that paragraph? Uh, this template is designed to be used when determining line of sight. To or from small base trooper minis, use of this template is required for tournament play. Like, the way that that reads says to me the third-party stuff is not reasonable. Right. Because it's yeah, used to this template. Then it's confusing because it goes on to say, feel free to print off this page. Well, but, but like, implying that that's like one method you can use to create the template. Also true. It, I mean, implications aside. Because you uh, do have to create the template yourself. You we totally that do. Ground already. I mean, right. but like, but at least if, if you print that off and cut it out, you're adhering to like, that's the template, right? And then you've got this bendy thing that is immediately not usable as soon as you like accidentally press too hard on it and it bends a little bit and it's kaput and you have to print well, out another one. So, so can you glue that paper template to the front of one of the acrylic silhouettes? I, I don't know. Right, I don't know. There's no guidance, right? Yeah. So I, I think I think this is, to me, using the reasonableness standard. I would be shocked if anyone told you at a tournament, or even an official FFG tournament, that you could not use an acrylic silhouette if it was clearly like the same size. So let's go down that rabbit hole. Are we gonna prejudge everybody's silhouettes before they use them? Like, well, I think it's gonna be pretty clear what like if someone's using a silhouette and it's it doesn't look like it's the right size. This goes back to the whole Miller test thing, right? Like, you know, when you see it, well, I think I disagree. I don't think people are going to be able to tell the difference between a couple millimeters. If, if I bump my silhouette up by like two millimeters or shorten it by a couple millimeters, I don't think people are going to be able to eyeball that. Yeah. All right. And, and here's a good way of, of doing it, right? Put yourself in a judge position, right? And Kyle, you judge events, David, you judge events, Mike, I'm sure you judge events, right? Put yourself in the judge shoes in the situation. Okay. And now we're talking, let's say it's like, let's, let's again, theorize here. Let's say it's a 64 person tournament in silhouettes are being used. Okay. All 64 people have a silhouette of some form, whether it's the printed one, whether it's a 3d printed one, whether it's resin printed, doesn't matter. They all need a silhouette. They have one. They're all different. Let's for, for the sake of the argument. Okay. Let's say you have like a two person, three person judge team. That's being generous because 
a lot of the, these events usually just run with like one or two, right? But now you have games where you have the player contract where it's fine. We would just agree that our templates are fine. Like even if it's off by a millimeter uh, or two, like we accept that. But then there's going to be player contracts where a player is not going to agree and there's going to be a judge call. And now it comes into a situation that the judge has to now check the template mid game, say, or, and what happens if this happens at several tables? So now what does that judge do? Is the, does that judge supposed, is that judge supposed to like now like warn that person? Are they DQ'd? Like there's so many, I'm not saying that this is what would happen. Like I'm not saying they would be strictly DQ'd, but I'm just saying we're working in an area where again, just like last week in the staff talk, I know we, I said I wouldn't mention it, but we're in a gray area that has no guidance on something I hate in general as it is. Cause I mean, you all know, I hate silhouettes at this point as it is. So we're talking, David, you already mentioned you're in the middle of the game. It adds mm-hmm. time to look for line of sight. Well, what kind of, what kind of time are we adding to a game where someone argues the silhouette is, is not good? I have, I have a fix for that. And that's going to be doing preemptive checking. Now that doesn't have to occur at check-in. What you could do is you can have a master template that you'd use to check everybody's silhouette and you send the judges around as people set up and you do a side-by-side comparison. And if that square, if they square up accurately, like within, you know, a margin of error that's acceptable, right. You can say, okay, this tool is acceptable for per play because it matches the official rules. That way you can, that way you can like preempt the struggle and say, the judge has the issue with your silhouette, not the player. I, I right. love that. So I'm going to pitch you a curveball. What happens when they're not? Do you just hand them a flimsy printed copy you, and hope that holds up for 12 hours of tournament play? You may have to because it's not on you. Like the fact that you're even providing an alternative tool is a courtesy. Well, I mean, like, frankly. I don't know. Like if you if you order a a template from like a retailer, like for instance... I don't have a printer. Like, like I just right. don't own one. So does that mean I need to go to like, I don't even know. Is Kinko's a copy place? Staples. Yeah, like Staples, staples, or, staples or something. Or something. Like, I got to go to Staples or Kinko's or something to print this thing out before a tournament. Like, first of all, that's crappy. Yeah, I think that sucks. Um, second of all, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, would, I would be with you if, if there was a legitimate tool... But like, I don't. I'm not convinced that the paper copies are even going to hold up for more than one game. Like, right. we, we have there's an origin. There's an original problem that we've been kind of avoiding talking about, which is that there's no, there is we're, there is no tool, right? There's a reference on a piece of paper. There's no physical tool like in the core box. So how how does this conversation change if if there's like a sprue? with a, pl- a hard plastic silhouette on it instantly resolves itself. Well, that's what this, should happen this, or this, even a cardboard one. This first stage of talking about silhouettes goes away. Yeah. This, the, yeah, this first the stage part of the away. conversation that comes next is something else altogether. So I'm right. going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Cause you talked about checking silhouettes and making sure the right size. And Correct. I get like, if you order from a third party vendor, you have no control over how that was printed or whatever, but like someone could just as easily shave with a hobby knife, two millimeters off their hard plastic silhouette that came in the core box. Yeah, I think we're getting into like so. 
So I, I guess my point is like, if you want to make your silhouette, if you want to cheat by making a short silhouette, it doesn't matter whether it's in the core box or you buy it from a vendor or you print it yourself. If you want to paint your range rulers to indicate two inch well, segments, you can. I mean, you, I mean, can, also, you can also. This sh- kind of goes into the same boat, right? I mean, not that you would ever want to, but you could also shave your range rulers, right? I mean, right. it wouldn't hurt anybody but you, probably. But, right. But, like, yeah. you know, um, I think that functionally, uh, to me, bringing a silhouette that you think is acceptable but is not acceptable is a, a due to malfunction in what printed it or misconception by who you purchased it from or whatever is very different than intentionally cheating like yeah. and and i think i think that we've got to check silhouettes regardless of if we think people are cheating or not because there's nothing standardized you know i I don't know. Like, you know, somebody says they got a silhouette from Joe Schmo. Well, great. I'm, I'm happy for you. Like, I, I hope it's good, but like, we still need to check it because, you know, maybe that silhouette, maybe, maybe the dude who made it, like, just like clocked a number wrong or something. Like it's, it's totally possible. Um, whereas I think if, if it's coming in, in an actual official product, uh, we, we can, we can at least allay uh, the concerns of, well, this is an official tool. We don't need to preemptively check it. But if you think somebody's cheating, we're still gonna we're still gonna nail them to the wall. So if we if we move on a little bit from the problems of it being basically a paper, um, how did you find it just generally in the game with like the shape of the silhouette and how often did you pull it out? How often did it lead to situations where you could see a model that you wouldn't otherwise be able to and vice versa? Well, we didn't get that far. Okay. Because my opponent was not prepared to use it that way. Because, I mean, this is this, a person I played, um, it's their fourth game ever. So I'm not going to, like, you know, be all crazy with it. Can, can I ask? I just want to, like, actually, like, play the game and not even worry about that minutia. Did they know silhouettes existed? No. In fact, no one knew. So, all right. So, but, but because they're all new. Well, yeah, that's, also, that's that's part of my point. Yeah, silhouettes are also explicitly for tournament play. Like they're not in the RG; they're in they're in the tournament dock. So there's no obligation or expectation that you would lose use them at a local store. I'm I'm with you on that. But okay. I also feel strongly that, uh, you know, if there's a prime championship in any of these stores. I'm sure that there are exceptions to this, but a large majority of store owners are not going to know to be like, hey guys, bring your silhouettes. And to double down on that, be like, have like printed copies of them for people that either A, don't know and showed up for this cool, sweet store tournament that's got sweet swag. Now they don't have silhouettes. And like, I, I don't know, like... Mm, I don't love it. I wouldn't be surprised if, if there's going to be some handshake player agreements where both players are like, you know what? I don't got any models on flight stands. I don't have Luke's with his lightsaber. Let's just not use silhouettes this game. That, oh, I don't I'm know, sure that's is... going to happen in an official that, tournament. That opens up a whole new can of worms. 
Uh, it does. Man, like, all right, I came in, I came into the silhouette talk with a lot of things. Now this is just a whole nother rabbit hole. Yeah. I guess my brain didn't really like think about because we haven't been playing in person. And Nima, for some reason, made these awesome silhouettes on TTS that make me want to also punch him in the face because they're so easy to use that he's spoiled all of us, right? You just hit a button, silhouette pops up, bam, yeah. you're good to go. Yeah. Like, that's not how this is going to work on a real table. And to, to, to not, I know Kyle brought up a different point, but just to go back to what Mike just said about my, like a store. I love my local store. I love my store owner. I love the guy that runs the store for my store owner. They are great people. They don't play Star Wars Legion. So they're going to rely on me or maybe one other guy in the local scene to kind of run the tournament that happens. Okay. That's fine. Does it fall on me if someone doesn't have a silhouette to use? Like, is that my, is that my problem now? Because I'm running the event for them. Now I get that, right? Like I'm making that choice to TO the event. I'm should be prepared and all that stuff. How do I prepare for this situation? Now, don't get well, me wrong. Again, devil's I, advocate, I don't think that it's on you to be prepared. It's on the player. But the issue here is I don't think players attending prime championships are going to be have the information they need to know that they even need a silhouette to, in the first place is my and, and I understand we're not in a prime championship season and we're probably not there for a while so like there there's time to fix this but um like I don't know like if if my store had a prime championship tomorrow I'm very confident that the only reason that they would know about silhouettes is because I would tell them about it. And not every store has that. No, I, I actually have a bag of silhouettes. I have some fifth trooper ones. I have some from uh, Keegan Evans. Uh, I literally have a bag of silhouettes for, and I did like a head count of like who I normally would see at a tournament prepared to eventually hand them to every local that I have just in the event that they want to play in a tournament. Cause I know a lot of my locals aren't like competitive, like I'm super competitive. Okay. I, and I'm willing to admit that. Okay. My local scene, like we play competitively, but like, they're not like bloodthirsty, like I can be at times. And, and, and again, I accept that. I know that I'm cognizant of Zach, you are not bloodthirsty. Hang on. Oh no, I am. <laughs> Zach, Zach looks to talk a big game, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I am. I am like, I, I just, I try to make sure I don't come off that way. Then you're like am, the nicest bloodthirsty person that I know. I well, yeah, it's I I use my personality to make sure that I don't come off as an a hole. How's that? Um, because I well, am, and I think you can be competitive and not be an a hole. Yeah, no, no, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. But I would also that's a totally like, different topic, though. It is, it is yeah. completely. But I just made sure I have a bag of silhouettes to hand to people in the and this is again. I, yes, I'm prepared as if I, if I were to start calling you silhouette Santa. Oh my yeah. God. That's like the worst name because of how much I hate them. Like I've been sitting here this whole time. I'm like, we're on video. I need to be like, I need to be like gladiator at one point and just be like, how do you feel about silhouettes? And just give the thumbs down because no matter how this conversation spins and God bless Kyle, because he's trying to make a positive spin at like several points and we're all just like, no. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this is a whole nother rabbit hole I didn't even think of that is now frustrating. I mean, it's dragging the Rouge's ugly head from time to time too. It's like, can players make agreements that break the rules? Yeah, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the the like the fact that the silhouettes are not good 
representations of what they're supposed to represent. The shape. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah like, gotten there we haven't even, and, and to me, that's the biggest problem. But, but that's something that like, we can we can table that for now. Um, well, no, no, no. I think we I should mean, get to that. I think okay. we should just go to it. I think we Let's should. Be, I think we should be fair and say that we were going to do intercept again. Yeah. Uh, which we're probably not going to get to. Now we're an hour deep, man. It's over. No, no, we're deep. We're, so there's been ready? one. Yeah. There's been one question that I've been I've been trying to ask David, but there hasn't been an opportunity to. Okay. Before we go into the deeper dive of silhouettes and why they are terrible. Okay. This printed this printed silhouette that you have. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you have to do it from the from the backside, okay? And uh-huh. I get it. You're using this little piece of paper that's like an eight by eleven, like like one mil piece of paper. So you could probably it's, see it's pretty through. small, yeah. So you can see through that piece of paper, and you can see the sight line that you're supposed to be looking through because Correct. this piece of paper is also a piece of crap, right? It's a flimsy <laughs> well, piece of crap. Now you, well, you before put it on we, a piece before of- we that is not a reasonable assumption. It does does it tell you what type of paper to print it out on, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to be real clear here because because it doesn't say print it out on an eight and a half by eleven standard sheet of paper. It says print this thing out, right? And if you print it, print it out on cardboard, you can't see through it. If you printed it out on like construction paper, you can't see through it. Like well, it that's has to be that's what I was getting at. Paper stone wash gray. <laughs> so, but that's what I'm getting at. So David has this opaque piece of paper just because it's thin paper. And this this thing's going to last like a game, maybe two if we're lucky, okay? Yeah. It, it is literally a piece of paper that could just you – get a, you get a little drip yeah. of water on it. It's done. It could just fold up at any I mean, time. Just the grease on your hands. Like, yeah, I don't know about time, you guys, yeah. but my hands get a little sweaty when I'm I, sweating when now. I I'm, you know, like, I'm sweating hey, now. I'm playing in Florida. Like, so <laughs> – my David, you can see through the piece of paper. You know where your sight line is. Yeah. All right. You put that on. You put that on cardstock. You put that on Manila. You do it on cardboard. You do it another way. Let's say it's not a three D printed or a resin printed one that has like a real good opaque piece that you can see through. All right. How the hell do you know what you're shooting at? Because guess what? You can't see that little line that is giving you that line of sight. So you, you know what now, I did? You have I to actually, walk across the table. I I cut a slit. In the middle of that line, so that I knew where it, knew where it was. Oh, but now is that legal? Can you? Oh, yeah. do that? Did, I, did I modify the? Oh my god! Well, and, and how wide line? can the slip be? It was literally just a. Oh my god! <laughs> all right, I so mean, let's move on. All right, so you know what we can all agree on? We can all agree on, and pun fully intended, that FFG's rollout of silhouettes was a half measure. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you did there. <laughs> oh, but I think. If we're talking about the actual silhouette itself, like I haven't looked at it in a while, but it is—it's essentially just a box, right? I guess it's ten- yeah, it, it's a box with handles. So, yeah, so before before we get to this part, yeah, because this is the most interesting part to me, actually. <laughs> um, let's talk about like why silhouettes were created, because there is a reason for all this pain. Yes, right? absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so. I don't have my Luke Skywalker model here, my original one. Well, I, but mean, I do have, but I do have this guy. It started right? with a baseball bat. Like it started with a baseball bat, and it ended with Mandalorians. Flight, flight stands. And if flight stands, Mandalorians, and arc troopers, and because if if I'm building Mandalorians, and I intend to use them in an important tournament, and there's no such thing as silhouettes. Like, there's zero chance that I'm putting them on flight stands. Now, I know that that opinion is not shared by everybody. 
and I love hobbying, right? I just showed you my OSL, Luke, and Grievous. But I'm also not going to like do something that makes a model four inches tall when it could be one inch tall, right? Unless I have a backstop where it says treat this treat all mod trooper models the same. And that's where the silhouette comes from, right? The premise is great. It's the implementation here that is a problem. Yeah. Right. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because the shape of the silhouette is in fact a box, right? And you know, like let's look at Mr. I love that we have video now. Let's look at Mr. Luke Skywalker here, right? Yeah. Like I wish I had a silhouette template next to me, but he is not box shaped. And right? no. And and the boxes are uniform height. So like Wookiees are the same height as R2D2 when it comes yes. to drawing line of sight. And I get a silhouette. And and w- but when it comes to climbing over stuff, they're different. You know, yeah, they could have just said if any part of the model overhangs the base, it's not counter for a line of sight. But even though that doesn't solve the vertical issue. The vertical issue is just banana land to me. Yeah. Bananas. There's a lot of issues here, right? Like, you could say that, like, I mean, I sort of like the idea of only things inside the box are things you can shoot at. Mm Mm-hmm. Not the entire box. Not the entire box. So, right. like, if you can see R2-D2 within the box, like, he still retains his profile, but it fixes the things that were a problem, such as Mandalorians on flight stands, or Luke Skywalker's baseball bat, or whatever. You know, it, it kind of tucks those things into a neat, neater box. It, then the issue with with that is that like R2D2 draws line of sight like four feet above his head. Yeah. Like he can also be seen equally as high. Yeah. Like I mean so, I mean four feet might be a little bit but it's like it's like twice the size of his model. Thank his, you, Kyle. That's showing he's showing the silhouette with R2 D2 and, and it's like twice as tall as R2's actual model. Yeah. So, go for it. Well I was gonna say I'm gonna preface this by I'm not I'm not condemning what happened here in this event, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to bring this back because Mike and I casted a game in Invader League. It was probably like, honestly, might have been the first game of Invader League so or that was casted, right? Or it was really early on. And um, so the players were were Bees and uh, the Warcitect, and they were playing on uh, Mimbon. So I don't know if you're familiar with the map on TTS. If you're not, it's not going to make any sense of it, how I'm going to how I'm going to describe it. But I'll try and do my best. There's a piece of terrain that is basically like a rounded bunker, and the architect moved his Padme into what seemed like a very very safe spot. Now, because the piece of terrain is rounded, it, it, it normally you'd be safe because Padme's model is completely hidden, completely like you cannot see Padme at all. Now, Bees saw the opportunity to kind of get his ATRT into a position that was not at 45 degrees, but was a little bit angled on the piece of terrain, and his ATRT could see, and I, I'm not kidding you, a sliver of Padme silhouette. Now, I'm not faulting Bees for taking the shot. It's a competitive game. I get it. Like, take the shot. But the fundamental issue of the silhouette was you couldn't see a single speck of Padme. You saw literally the corner of the silhouette back to what you were saying, Mike, like if it's in the box and you can see the model in the box, 
great. But I mean, it was probably the most egregious, like it was one of the first shots I've seen with silhouettes, mind you. Right. And it was like egregious. Cause I'm just like, Holy crap. This shot should not be happening in my mind. Again, I get why the shot happened in a competitive game. Like I a hundred percent get it. I respect it. I'm not mad that he took the shot. I'm mad at silhouettes for being bad. Right. Well, and it's just that basically they've, they've made all models in this game the area of the base and then moved it f- like in in and elevated that area to like in most cases to a taller place than they actually are um and it's just it's really hard to hide things now it's and in my opinion it's the corners Right, because we held up R2 and here's Sabine, right? Like, um, you know, people are not shaped like a box, right? They're more like a, like a cone, I guess is the... Yeah, I mean, it's, they're, it's, it's like a cylinder that does, that gets, you know, tapered at the top. Yeah. Right. Speaking so, of movies shown on Comedy Central that nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's and it's and it's in this situation that's conical, basically because the base exists, right? Like we're not actually shaped like cones per se, but our models are because they they come from the base, and you can't just ignore the base, right, right. on a silhouette. So it would have to be like you said, like a cone would be better represented than a box. But in basically, in my experience, it's it's this part. And this part that caused the most problems. Generally, yeah. um, yes. The, and they the add shoulders. the most area right. that is normally unshootable to now be shootable. And I think that this has repercussions for certain armies. Like, rebels rely on not getting shot a lot of the time. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, I, that's, like, just a thing they do. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I think B1s sort of rely on that, too. You know, anything with a bad save, I think, tends to be punished a little bit more. Like, if you've you've got a red surging save, you can kind of, like, be like, okay, well, at least I have something to fall back on if they catch my silhouette, right? But, like, but if you you don't have that, the the other issue here is that because it's it's, it's not actually a box, right? It's a cylinder, technically. Yeah, technically. The issue here is that every time you, like, change the angle a little bit, the like the profile in respect to terrain that is being hidden behind like changes so that you have to recheck it and don't get me wrong normally you have to recheck those line of sights anyways but now that you're shooting at a cylinder as opposed to the model you have to put the silhouette down every time you like make a teensy weensy move and like oh i can see them but i can't actually see the model it's just really awkward well, speaking of angles, okay, and, and <laughs> this is another one, right? Define the back of your model. Define where you put the silhouette behind your model to look. Like, can you give me a definition, Mike? Like, is there an actual definition of where you put it behind? Well, there's no technical front of the model, I think, because technically you can have them facing in any direction. So technically you could, like, face your models – towards me 
like I could face my models towards me and behind them would be in front of them. I don't know. Like the terminology there is a little weird. I don't know what the rules actually say. Well, um, so like my, my point is right. My point is right. So let's say I have like a piece of terrain that I are like, a, I'm trying to shoot something with like a rebel trooper unit say, right. And I put the silhouette behind my leader. And what if my opponent now disagree? Now, again, as we're talking about in real life, we're not talking about TTS silhouettes that are the bee's knees, right? I put that silhouette behind my rebel trooper and I look through and it looks like I have the shot, but my opponent doesn't agree that I put my silhouette in the right spot and I should shift it to like the left. And now all of a sudden I don't have that shot is my point. Well, the other issue here is that you're relying on being able to draw. So like, let's not worry about what is the front and back model for a second. When you put a silhouette down, it obviously is not a three-dimensional object. It is a 2D plane, right? And depending on where you put that 2D plane, like it, the 2D plane is supposed to go perpendicular to the line of sight that is being drawn. But guess what? We like there's no way to ensure that that actually has occurred other than to kind of take someone's word. Well, and even if you're doing it for yourself, you know, just like, it's not like you're going to get it hundred percent accurate. Right. That's what, no, that's what no. I mean. Like it's, it's like it, I mean, this is not a scientific tool at all. You're, you're drawing a perpendicular line to an invisible one. Like you can eyeball it, but like, it's going to be off every time. Sure. And I think, I think this conversation is kind of part of it's any line of sight conversation is related to what makes a good terrain conversation for a miniatures game. And, you know, this is a whole entirely separate conversation, but generally speaking, the things that make good terrain are like easily defined in their shape and don't generally require you to get down on the eye level of the table to determine if you can see something. In other words, you can play top down most of the time on a good table. You know, there are terrain pieces like those Dagobah trees, right? Where you've got like the um, the roots that are sticking up from the ground and they look awesome, right? Like those look so cool. But man, even without silhouettes, like every single line of sight having to get down on the table and be like, can I see from this model? Like I can't imagine it. A terrain piece like that with silhouettes. Well, and, and I think people are going to start adjusting the kind of terrain that they use with silhouettes and with line of sight in mind, or at least I hope so. Rounded terrain. Yeah, rounded terrain is really bad for silhouettes. That's where those corners really become obvious. Which is unfortunate because that like edits out a lot of cool stuff, right? Like I have a well, lot of wonky terrain that is not. You know, and it's not even just rounded terrain. It's just, it's it's non. It's it's like non completely vertical, you know, sides, right? Like if you if you've got if you've got a slant, right? Like it, it same problem as rounded terrain would have. What's the most common terrain piece you wager? I bet it's the Tatooine hut. I was going to say the Endor bunker, but I, that's probably on a similar. Probably same difference. Yeah. Um, but again. Right, it's it's a slant or it's a curve, and those are just annihilated. So I've got dead in the middle of it. So here's here's my question: If you a print an official silhouette on a sprue and sell it, FFG does that. 
and B, change the shape of the template such that it, you know, at a minimum, like cuts out those top corners or maybe even is more of like a cone. Does that solve 90% of the issues we're talking about? Uh, more like 75%. Well, okay. yeah, there's still, there's still the, there's still the issue of R2D2 and Wookiees and, and, I mean, there's also, I mean, I could go down the rabbit hole. Like, I, I think that with silhouettes for just troopers doesn't make sense to me. Like, I think there should be more templates. Height um, of miniatures versus height of silhouette for movement determination. I, I yeah, mean, I, I circle well, back that's on something it again. That seems really easy to fix. But, <laughs> but I circle back on it again on something I said I didn't want Mike to mention, you know, joking around earlier. Again, the stap situation. And I mentioned it last week. I'll mention it again. Like, they don't have silhouettes. It That's a problem to me. Like, uh, I'm not saying like that tanks need silhouettes because I, I get the big bases like, but but maybe they do. Maybe like Tauntauns, like uh, like creature troopers. Like we have this game isn't just infantry. I know it's an infantry based game, right? That is, and I get that flight stands are what caused the reason for silhouettes for trooper models. But once you implement one for the infantry models, like. It doesn't make sense to not have them for the other base sizes, to, at least to me. I, I'm with you. I think they painted themselves into a little bit of a box on this. And let me tell you what I mean by that. I think that outside of infantry, and even with some infantry, but it's less of an issue, there's a lot of vehicle creature troopers that like over overflow off the base. Right? Like, imagine what putting a silhouette behind a saber tank looks like, right? Like, the saber tank doesn't, is like, its butt is like, you know, pretty far off the base in a, in a lot of cases, right? You know, tauntauns have tails sticking out. So all of a sudden, how, how, do, we, how do you make a tool, whether it's paper or plastic or whatever, that accounts for those issues, right? So, like... I'm with you. I think there should be silhouettes for basically everything. I just like infantry is easy because like there you can just rotate them right and find the side that is fine. But you can't rotate a saber tank. The facing matters. You can't rotate a tauntaun. The facing matters. And so like additionally, the profiles on like a tauntaun or a saber tank are completely different based on what side you're looking at from. Right, like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that there's a good answer for for non-infantry stuff, but I agree. Like, I wish that there was. Um, I think I think there's always going to be a little bit of a tension between function for gameplay purposes because it's a miniatures game, right? And hobby. And you have, you know, you have games like 40k where they essentially don't have any silhouette rules. And there's just this understanding that, you know, you can hobby or you can build something for competitive play or you can do somewhere in between. But, you know, every choice that you make is going to affect how that model functions mechanically. Now, I think that's probably too far in the other direction. Like, I want to be able to put my Mandalorians on flight stands, right? But, and there's probably like a better way to do this. But that still leaves some questions. Right, yeah. like you talked about the vehicle models. It, there's no easy answers to this problem because there's always going to be a little bit of that tension. 
Yeah, and and I'm not saying that they like we shouldn't have cool looking models. I I want to be very clear about that. All of those models are super dope. I wouldn't give them up. But there are significant problems and it 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 may just be that like there needs to be a line item in the RRG that specifically says, okay, the saber tank draws line of sight from the little slits in the windows or whatever. And like it just itemizes each unit. And I understand that that's not super simple, but it would at least give us like a hard and fast, like, you know, the stap riders draw a line of sight from the rider's head, right? Like regardless of where it is, that's, that's, that's what you draw a line of sight from. And instead of the handlebars or something like that. And I understand it doesn't solve issues, but at least we can start to be like, well, this is what the rule is for this model. Model your thing in accordance with this rule as opposed to a global rule that applies to everything and just feels and is super awkward and weird. Well, they've already done that with models like the E-Web, right? Right, like, exactly. It's so just... I think we've gotten like what two or three of those. Yeah, occupy like web a billion more models that need yeah. them. You know. Well, here's a different question for non-trooper based minis. What if you just said you can draw a line or sight to or from any part of the model? <sighs> In other words, if you can shoot, you can be shot, and vice versa. It's. I want a rule that is functional and usable. That that fits the criteria. I don't love it from a theme aspect of it. Like, you know, your speeder bike's got, like, the tip of its thing sticking out so it can shoot you, whatever. Um, I mean, but I think it would be fine. It, it yeah. is usable for gameplay purposes, so I think that that is okay. And, and it's, you know, miniatures gaming is an abstraction, right? You could easily say that, you know, the physical location of that speeder bike is it's shooting as it's zooming, Right around the terrain piece, you know. So maybe it's just a little bit farther than it's physically portrayed on the table or whatever. It would just take a little getting used to, I think. Like it would be a mind over matter thing. Like it would clean up gameplay. It would just mess up with your mind because the bike is in a weird spot, or like a tauntaun is like in a weird spot. You would just have to like, like train your brain to not get angered by that. I'm not saying you get angered by it, but you know what I mean. Like we're so used to like the models, like mean where it's just and i think that might be a style maybe that's a star wars problem right maybe we're so like we're so into this right like it's a star wars game and i i don't don't play any of the games right maybe it's like like and i know you just said it's like an abstraction but i don't know when i see the model it kind of means more to me so like i would have to train my mind to be like oh well that bike shooting me from like its back pedal this is ridiculous but it's such a better game it would be a better cleaner gameplay which is what we're kind of discussing that needs to happen do you think you could give the same treatment to silhouettes like you can you can draw a line of sight from any part of the silhouette it should be that way i think i mean i mean i've never played infinity but everyone keeps on saying infinity has basically the same kind of silhouette and it's if you can be shot you can shoot back and while again you might have to train your mind to get to get used to that if you've never played infinity like i have never um i'm fully on board with that i think that's how it should be like if you can see the corner of my silhouette and you can scope me can't see a single thing of my model but you can see that stupid corner of the silhouette because it's a box fine but i'm gonna shoot you back 
And if it's my Padme, guess what? She's a sharpshooter too. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to simulate, you know, a model in motion, right? Like, that's the idea anyways. Um, and, like, I mean, I could, you know, be standing on my tiptoes or I could be crouched down. Like, I could be drawing line of sight from anywhere. I think it's reasonable to be able to draw the line of sight from anywhere within the silhouette. I think that that would be fine. Um, it does get a little wonky. Um, but... I mean, I think that that would be a better system than, you know, there's one point on the silhouette presently that you draw a line of sight from, and therefore, like, it just gets awkward and weird. I'm just going to, like, 3D print an army of, like, plastic cylinders, and I'm going to paint faces on them. Do it. And that'll be my new army. Wait, wait, but back to Hobby Talk. You, act, if, you're, if you're printing cylinders, you have nowhere to paint the base. So you're only hitting faces, not bases. So I don't know. Well, that's the thing, though, because well, I could just mount I could just mount a cylinder on top of the base, I guess. So put would it, these that, cylinders be cylinder. cool? Well, no, it would, just, it would just, you know, it's like my hitbox now corresponds to my model. Clear cylinders on clear bases? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just say they're all cloaked, or you come up with some other rationalization. We've spent a lot of time on the uh, mechanical implications of hobby decisions in the last couple episodes. I mean, it is... It's very important. It is more important important than it ever has been, I think, from a timing perspective in the game. Real-world situation aside, like the game has evolved to a point where we really need answers to these questions. And frankly, I think a lot of this probably needs to change. Um, we got along for two years. What happened? Well, we went from everybody having infantry that stood on two feet and was relatively the same size to having dudes on jetpacks that are like three times the size of normal stuff. And, yeah. and, and sweet customizable models that are awesome, like the Stap Riders, yeah. you know, but there, there is a gameplay, yeah. like, the, the rule set for this game was designed, it seems, to be used with, like, not-so-customizable things. And the rule set really hasn't evolved into what they've created and built. And I, and I think that we'll get there eventually. I'm sure we'll get but there it's, eventually. It's still helpful to have these conversations because, you know, it's like, okay, well, what would make this better, right? Better shape, actual FFG printed silhouette, and shoot from any, to and from any part of the silhouette and for non-silhouette units to and from any part of the, the model, right? If all those changes were implemented, it would be significantly simpler. Now, some of those are some of those are a little bigger hurdles, right? Like FFG printed hard plastic silhouette. They'd have to make a product for that, right? Well, not only that, but they'd have to be like, like the current silhouette rules sort of felt like a band aid to me. They're like, hey, we're gonna like do this thing, and it's gonna be okay. But like, once you print a tool, you can't change how this works, right? Right. Like. Like, it's in stone at that point. I mean, like, it's not completely in stone. You could do, like, a like X-Wing 2.0 revamp where you, like, release a new tool set or something. But, like, like once you release an official tool that, like, people have to purchase and it's not, like, just 
paper that you printed. <laughs> like, I, I think I think it changes the ballpark. Like, you know, FFG's got to go through a whole the whole production process for this entirely new process. They've got to order it. They've got to ship it. They've got to do all the things, right? Yeah. And, that's why I think that's the biggest hurdle. Yeah, and I mean, it, there are gameplay ramifications. I'm not gameplay ramifications. There, there's like, there are legitimate reasons for them as a business to not do that, right? Yes. Like, like business reasons for them to not do that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, the paper silhouette makes sense if you're like not super sure that this is going to be a thing you want to keep, right? Like, if they were like, you know what, let's see how this goes. You know, the issue is that uh, the issue I have with that fundamentality is that like it might just fail because you released a half half shot version of it. And I mean, the other issue is, and this is not their fault, obviously, is what silhouettes came out in the RRG in like February, maybe something like that. Okay, uh, we're now in. Uh, September. I had to really think about that for a second. Um, so they've been out for seven months and real life stuff has gotten in the way. So like, there's no actual testing on this thing that they probably, like you said, Mike, were hedging their bet where they're not sure if it's exactly the way they want it. So they're going with the paper model. So now we've lost all kind of testing because, you know, who knows when silhouettes are going to actually impact an in real life situation because of you know real world stuff going on so while we notice that these issues exist and sure we're exemplifying it because we have a podcast and like we're bringing media to people right and it's a topic that we feel strongly about right this could be something that doesn't get fixed for a long time and that's mainly because there's no actual evidence to, or like statistics. I'm not, not that they not like it's math on a unit say, right. But still like not getting these things on an actual table will make this fix harder to implement. I think. Yeah. I mean, we've been playing with the stuff on DTS for the better part of what feels like forever at this point. Um, and like, there are significant problems just within that. And that doesn't have any of the real world logistical like store issues that we've touched on. Right. Like it, it, a bare minimum, there is like, there's been issues that have been, you know, basically like, this is a problem. Like we need to get this fixed specifically like the size of the silhouettes. Right. Like there, there's an issue there. Um, it's not good. And, but but there, I mean, like, how many how many changes do you want to have to go through, right? Like, do you want to change it only to then have to change it again when it gets released to you know real real life tables? Like that could be an issue, and, and I and I wouldn't fault them for thinking like that because that I mean that could very well happen, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't have a good answer to any of this really outside of what we've outlined, but I don't think it's a complete answer either. And I don't know that we're likely to find a complete solution either, but I think there's clearly, you know, at a minimum, there's a, there's a better version of what we have now that would be a little easier to use. Yeah. At the end of the day, there are going to be compromises on this subject. 
I think undoubtedly, regardless of where we end up. I'm not happy with where we are now, and I'm unwilling to compromise for it. But, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I mean, there, there's a place that I think is reasonable that we could get to that I think that is a, you know, it might not be super great for competitive, like, or super great for modeling, but it is like a happy medium of both. Like, I don't know. It, that sounds like terrible to say out loud, but... You know, I don't know. The, the compromise is that we, we got this off our chest. <laughs> yes, that's part of it. Yeah, and I'll be curious to see, you know, tell us how you feel about it. If, you, if you've had a chance to use them in person, you know, as more and more people get back to playing real games, I'll be curious to see what other people's feedback is about it. You know, it's possible maybe everybody just gets used to this. It becomes a way of life. Who knows? Yeah, I'm curious I mean, to see how this evolves over the next few months. If you want to test them out, I'm sure Jay would love to ship some more out to people. Um, they're available online at the Fifth Trooper store. So yeah, they're uh, like two bucks. Yeah, they're super cheap. Um, you know, buy something else while you're there. I guess save on shipping. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let's. Uh, so. I guess we'll talk about Intercept, the transmissions of 101 next week. Next week. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's hit Team League real quick. So we uh, faced... Here, I'll, I'll let you take this, Zach, because you are, you are our, stalwart, our stalwart leader, our captain. Uh, yeah, shout out to uh, 5280 Squadron. I don't know which one it is. They have like a million guys playing this tournament. Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron. Um, they're Colorado guys. Uh, this one was head, uh, by Tony Hunter or Huntsman on the, uh, on the discord. Uh, they came at us with the big bid that I was, I mean, I kept on saying, yeah, guys, we need a good team bid. And I don't know. I think we went in with like 26 or 28 and I actually felt pretty good about it. Uh, and for those of you not familiar with the structure of Yavin based team league bidding is very important because you want to be blue, but you want to choose red. And I'm not going to lie. I thought our bid was good enough. So I kind of was going in prepared. As a, uh, sorry, as a team, you want to win the bid so that you yes. can choose red during the matching stage, which has yeah. no, bear, no bearing on who's blue or red on individual matchups. No. Okay. So right, continue. No, no. So yeah, I'll, I'll try and explain a little bit better. So um, we, I think we had a 28 bid, honestly. I, I can't remember. I have a spreadsheet. I'll have to go look at it again. But I felt confident that we were going to probably be blue I choose red. And the reason for that is red matches. So you have five players, right? And red team gets to match three of the matches as opposed to leading with three of the matches. Blue has to throw out a list and a map and red team gets to counter it. Um, while map is important, I think list countering is like way more important. And uh, last season of Yavin Base, we had about a 26 to 28 bid every time. I was very adamant about being 26 to 28. And I thought it was good. Now, Colorado guys were like, no, nope, 32. Uh, and I'm like, uh, I kind of like faltered a little bit. Um, I got some matchups for us that I didn't really like. And they took us down two to three. I think uh, Kyle salvaged uh, a game at the end. Um, so we, have, we are, have our backs up against the wall here now because the Denver guys took it to us. Uh, shout out to them. I know they're avid listeners, all of them. Uh, great guys. I had a great game with uh, Jason is confused. Um, 
Mike, I think you played Tony himself. I did. Yeah. Um, Kyle, you played KU Piranha, which I believe his name's Dustin. Uh, Bushman played uh, Space Viking on the Discord. His name's Steven. And uh, Evan played, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, so sorry about that. I forgot your name. Um, but it was a good match. I had, um, you know, we talked a lot about our strategy, which was we went with no imperialists. And I'm kind of like. I stand I went, by that decision. I do too. I just played like, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I kind of, well, not didn't play like crap. I just, I had no in with Kenobi uh, to, to kind of like, I had to like throw him like into the fold and just like hope for the best because we're playing intercept ironically. And, <laughs> and I was playing against a clone ball that had a ton of pierce compared to mine that had just echo in it because we let Mark, we let Mike take the arc uh, list, right. Our uh, arc star. And I kind of took like the rest of the clones that were available. And that's why Yavin is a little bit different. Like, and that's why being blue as a team, but choosing red is super important because you can get the lists that like, if you have like three super medalists, right. Or four super medalists with the, with the, with the um, factions. Right. Um, And that fifth list is going to be somewhat janky, which mine was right. And then we went with two droids, which is smart because droids can feel teams without BX strike teams and be still be strong. Right. But I was unable to get the matchups that I wanted for the list that I wanted to, which ended up putting us in the position to go two and three, which we're kind of mixing it up for next round. I'm not going to tell anyone what the deal is here because we still haven't paired. And I think we're pairing uh, when this cast is dropped. So uh, not giving these Australians any kind of insight, um, but we're definitely changing the strategy up guys. I'm excited. I get to play Legion occasionally. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> as long as you, as long as you get a game every two weeks, I'm, uh, I'm good with that. <laughs> I get, I get to run it from my little internet hovel. Actually, uh, I think yeah, I don't Dagobah. I'm in like the hut, you know, in the swamp. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I really like the format of Team League because it forces you to make these kinds of decisions, right? So for we've talked about it on this show before, but essentially you're limited. Your upgrades and your unique characters are limited team-wide. So between all five lists, you can only have X number of snipers. You can only have X number of phase twos. Um, you can only have one of each unique character across all five teams. So you have to kind of be like, you know, okay, Zach, who do you want to play this week and which units from that faction do you need if I'm playing the same faction, et cetera. So it forces you to make some interesting list building decisions. And there's, there's, there's a whole like team strategy thing to it. That's completely separate. So it's all, in, it's all, sorry. It's all in the name of, of making sure that people don't run five copies of the same optimal list. Yeah. I, I, so I think well, something that would be really cool. So once we have enough commanders from the new factions is that you're, your team has to pick a faction. Like one faction per team? One faction per team. And everything is still unique. You still can only take three strikes. You still can only like take one of each named commander. And like you gotta build five lists out of it. That could be legit. Like, that would be tough. It would be tough, but you would get some really interesting lists, I bet. Like... My worry there is that, you know, certain factions have better or worse internal balance than others. I, I feel like That's I feel fair. like a lot of teams would settle on on the same depth of faction if that makes sense. Maybe like 
like the the power core units. I mean, I think I think separatists would probably be pretty strong. No separatists doubt. have, I think, the best internal balance of any faction. Yeah, but I mean, like storms, rebel troopers, and phase one clones are all like. There's not a ton of lists like super built on those foundations anymore, with maybe the exception of like the rebel DLT. But like, they're not they're not nearly as staple in those armies as like the B one battle droid, right? Um, so I think that outside of like, I, I don't think everybody would pick separatists because if you know you're playing a team of all separatists, you take a bunch of ion guns, right? right yeah. Flamethrowers like, and ion. <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's, there's like a downside to doing that. So I think it might even like balance itself out. I don't know, but I think it would be super interesting. Um, I think it would be. Yeah. Whether everyone picks this or no one picks this. Cause they well, know that like, you know, you're going to face an ion storm. Maybe, maybe, maybe you like lock lists before, uh, okay, maybe right? So. Like from the outset, and instead of being able to like change it round to round, I don't, I don't know. But I really found the players playing into it though, because they'll have to come up with crazy lists based around you just never play. Right, right. Like, oh man, yeah. somebody's gonna have to play three pathfinders. Like, yeah, someone's got to play quad ion snows again. Yeah, like. <laughs> It, three it pathfinders is fun, okay. Three pathfinders is really fun. It is, yeah. but but like, how often do you see it, right? Never. And and I think that's Never. kind of in the spirit of Yavin based team league is playing these units that don't see the table a ton. Double right? ion land speeders go. <laughs> I mean, because like, there is still like some ways to like get around the restrictions in there right now, right? Like, yeah, we're, we're playing Arc Star. Like, uh, yeah, you can still there's still meta lists you can play because at least you know the. We at least get some of that competitive side in there, but it's meant to kind of break things up into the different factions at least. Damn so it, that, we told the Aussies you're playing Arkstar. I just realized that. I mean, they know. That shouldn't be shocking. Arkstar. That's not a shock. No. No. Everyone's going to run some variant of Arkstar, probably. Yeah, I mean. That's admittedly one weakness with this. And it's also like we only have four factions, we don't have like 15. Like. I actually other miniature games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the fact that like people can, like, you can take four factions across five lists makes it so that like sometimes like strike team, like it's hard to edit the the strike team syndrome out of that because if everybody picks a different faction, you can kind right. of you know you still have like one or two lists that are a little different. Right, should have an outright ban, which would make us completely different. Totally, the meta would completely change. Yeah. But, I think it's still interesting because even just by saying like, okay, you got to have, you know, faction diversity, it gives you a little bit of like team identity on your team where you're like, I'm the rebel player, you know, or right. I'm, I'm my team's empire player or whatever. I feel right, like there's and then a you good... have the, you have the sweeper, right? The guy who's like able to pick up whatever needs to be picked up. Yep, exactly. So um, I think that's a cool element to the strategy also. Yeah. Well, we'll keep it going with the good stuff. I hope you guys win your next game, your next uh, match, I should say. We'll see. If we don't, I think we're pretty much out. <laughs> I think yeah, that's how I that think works. so too. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll share. I'll share a data point since I shared it with you guys earlier. Um, the most banned map. <laughs> I'll just say that in this first round was Endor. People didn't like that map. They, it was the least played out of all the maps. So. Just an interesting data point for your consideration. So yeah, I like it because it was kind of open. 
At least that's it's, my feeling. It is open. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not my favorite map. Yeah. Let's uh, put it this way. Behind I love the scene, it. Behind the scenes, Kyle's like, any any map but Endor, please. And, yeah, just don't <laughs> give me Endor. Endor. Please. You don't, don't have to ban Endor, Endor, but don't give me Endor. <laughs> yeah, I can't work with this. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's really fun. I hope we, uh, yeah, I think we are basically screwed if we don't win our next one. Um, someone actually had a pretty good burn in the in the separatist chat because uh, someone joked about me playing Luke again, and I'm like, first of all, there's there's too many streams of us already. But second of all, um, and then someone else was like, well, you guys would have to make it out of <laughs> out of Round uh, Robin first. Wow! <laughs> like, oh man, roast brutal. <laughs> well, Woo. all I'm saying is I won my game. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's all, all right, that's all I can do. Yeah. <laughs> look man it's uh, you know can you fault feel, me for playing my list hey, I feel yeah. better with our approach this time around yeah yeah we have a more uh, I think people are in the in the correct silos uh, this time around so to speak um, okay let's wrap this up uh, you guys got any final thoughts so it's I, a bad I Cancel want, silhouettes. I want a real silhouette tool that FFG makes physically, and I want it not to be a square. Cone-shaped, hard plastic silhouette. Either cone-shaped or the corners cut into like an octagon or hexagon shape. I guess my final thought is is that it felt like this week the Staps brought up a lot of good conversation. Let's keep that going with the silhouette talk. Let's keep discussing it further after the cast. It's It's always good to discuss it even more so. Yeah, tell I, us your thoughts. I got pinged like 15 times on Discord. <laughs> it, it was like, they're like, and people on both sides of the conversation about staffs, you know, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love that you guys are involving me in the conversation by pinging me. It does get a little <laughs> nerve wracking sometime where, you know, I'm like, I just like woke up and I woke up to like four pings of people being like, we got to talk about what you said. And I'm like, (laughs) let's, let's, you know, hang tight here for a second. You're a public figure. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I would also like to sleep and nap, you know, I don't know. You know, you can turn off your discord notifications. It's also true. I can, but then when you guys ping me, I wouldn't get them. That's true. You know, Mark as red. Yeah. And Mike and I have exciting things to discuss. Like Patriots games. Speaking of which, man, we didn't okay, really talk on, about Cam. I need a buzzer. We <laughs> 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 almost made it all the way through this chat without talking about Patriots. <laughs> We're the notorious scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David. I'm Cam Newton. Forgot my name for a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay fresh. <laughs> Cheese bags. All right.